Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 92 of the show. We have lots to get into. It's another good episode for you. It was another crazy week uh, in the football world, both college and the NFL. So we'll get you caught up with a top 25 rankings update in college football, as well as a standings update in the National Football League. The end of the Major League Baseball season is rapidly approaching, so we'll do a standings update there. Several other teams have clinched a playoff spot since last week's episode. And then, of course, the Around the Island segment has lots of news and info, uh, particularly some big info from the National Football League. So uh, we'll get you caught up to speed there. Uh, But we are going to start on the PGA Tour, and this past weekend uh, was not uh, a PGA Tour event, but it featured... many PGA Tour players. It was the President's Cup. It's Team USA versus the international team. That was at the Quail Hollow Country Club, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a par 71, distance is 7,571 yards. All right, this course is utilized on the PGA Tour every year for the Wells Fargo Championship. However, this past year, the Wells Fargo Championship was not played here at Quail Hollow in order to get to this course prepared for the President's Cup. Uh, It's a very nice course, very difficult course. Uh, On the back nine, holes 13 through 15, they call it the Green Mile, very difficult stretch of holes. Uh, The the weather this weekend was spectacular. Sunny skies, uh, the course itself was very green, uh, luscious, as they say, and uh, everything about it just looked insanely perfect. And... This tournament, of course, the President's Cup, we, we talked about it last week on the preview. Uh, it was Team USA versus the international team. So, And the international team comprised of golfers the, of non-European descent. So, uh, of course, Team USA versus Team Europe is, no, is the Ryder Cup, which was played fairly recently as well. But uh, Team USA and, team, and international team. So Team USA, each team had 12 guys. Six of them were automatic qualifiers based on their performance during the regular season this past year, and six of them were captain's picks. Team USA was captained by Davis Love III. International team was captained by Trevor Immelman. The six automatic qualifiers for Team USA were Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, Justin Thomas, Xander Schauffele, Tony Finau, and Sam Burns. The six captain's picks for Team USA Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, Cameron Young, and Kevin Kistner. The international team's six automatic qualifiers were Hideki Matsuyama, Sung J M, Adam Scott, Mito Pereira, Corey Connors, and Tom Kim. The captain's picks for the international team were K.H. Lee, 
Taylor Pendrith, Sebastian Munoz, Christian Bezadenhout, Siwoo Kim, and Cam Davis. Now, we looked at the tail of the tape between these two teams. The average age for Team USA was 29.5 in comparison to 28.8 for international teams. So the international team was slightly younger. The official World Golf ranking for Team USA, their average ranking was 12, including one, two, about four in the top 10. Whereas team, uh, the international team, their official World Golf ranking average was 48. So a difference of 36 spots in the official World Golf ranking on average. So Team USA, very, very good. All high-profile golfers, uh, very good golfers. Now, I, I will say, I, f- I failed to mention this on last week's episode. These two teams could have been a little bit different had the LIV not stolen uh, some players. Uh, any any golfer that went to the Live Golf Tour was not eligible to play in this event. So that's why you don't see names uh, such as uh, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, that kind of stuff. International team would most certainly have had Cameron Smith. Uh, all those guys jumped ship to the Live Golf Tour, so they were not eligible to compete. Now, the format for the President's Cup. I talked about this. It's a very unique format. You have two 12-man teams. The President's Cup consisted of 30 matches played over four days. It was Thursday through Sunday, just like a normal tournament. You have 18 team matches, uh, nine using the foursome format, or alternate shot format, nine matches using the four-ball format, and then you had 12 singles matches. Okay, so the foursomes, or alternate shot format, you have a two-man team from each team uh, golfing in a foursome, and they uh, each team member alternates shots. So for Team USA, uh, one player would hit the first, third, and fifth shots, sec- the other player would hit the second and the fourth shots, and they would alternate every hole. Same with the international team. And they had to, you know, play alternate shot and the lower score won the hole and whoever won more holes wins the match. The four ball format, same thing. You're playing in a foursome. You have two two groups of two, right? Two Team USA, two Team uh, International team members. And all four of them played their own ball for the entirety of the round, all right? And the lower score on each hole between the two teammates was what was recorded, and the lower score won the hole. You win um, more holes to win the match. Same same thing as foursomes. All of those matches were worth one point apiece for a total of uh, 18 points, and then you had the 12, 12 singles matches on Sunday. Right, Sunday was reserved for only the single matches. It was one-on-one, mano-a-mano, and one golfer from Team USA going head-to-head against one golfer from the international team. That Those 12 matches on Sunday totaled 30 matches, 30 points up for grabs. It took 15.5 points to win the President's Cup. Okay, So they began on Thursday with five foursome matches. Friday, we had five four-ball matches. Saturday was the busiest day. There were four foursome matches in the morning and four four-ball matches in the afternoon. Then Sunday was only the 12 singles matches, okay? Uh, this was the 14th edition of the President's Cup. 
All right, Team USA had an 11-1-1 record coming into this thing. They've only lost it once and tied it once. So very impressive stuff there for Team USA. Day one with the foursome matches, the alternate shot. Uh, Team USA dominated this thing. It was headlined by Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. Those two guys are best friends. They were paired together the entire weekend. Uh, they beat the absolute tar out of Adam Scott and Hideki Matsuyama. They won six and five, which means they were up six shots, or six holes, rather. They were up six holes with only five holes to play. It was the first foursome match uh, to last 13 holes or fewer since 2011. So they just absolutely demolished them. At the end of the, the first day, Team USA had a 4-1 to one lead. So Team USA won four of the first five matches. Went into Friday uh, up 4-1. to one. Friday was the same thing. Team USA just came out roaring. Sam Burns made a mile worth of putts, including a 79-foot eagle putt on the seventh hole. And again, Team USA, following what they did on Thursday, went 4-1 and one, uh, on Friday. So they were up 8-2. to two. They won eight out of the first 10 matches Team USA did more than halfway home to the President's Cup before they even got to Friday, or to Saturday, rather. So they get to Saturday, and you're thinking, hell, we might not make it to Sunday with how Team USA has played. But the international team came out. They uh, showed some real fight, made a lot of noise on Saturday. The foursome matches in the morning were split two and two. Team USA won two, Team International won two. So the score heading into the afternoon Four ball matchups was 10 to 4. USA had 10. Team International had four. All right. Now, the international team really made some noise in the four ball matchups. All right. They won three out of those four matchups. And it was headlined by the team of Siwoo Kim and Tom Kim. They were full of energy all day, made a bunch of clutch putts, uh, including. Uh, in their, their afternoon round where they beat the dynamic duo of Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley by one hole. Uh, Tom Kim made a fantastic putt on the 18th hole, uh, pumping, up, pumping his arms up and down, jumping up and down. It was just really uh, pretty cool. That, that's just, you know, when the crowd gets into it, the players get into it, and that's, that's what's different about the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup. It's really a, a for-your-country-type mentality, and uh, it was just awesome to watch. But the score after the third day, Saturday, was uh, Team USA was up 11-7 to heading into the singles matches. Now, I told you you only needed 15.5 points to win. So the Americans only needed 4.5 points out of the 12 singles matches. So they really had to win 4 and half one of those matches, or tie. A tied match ended in a half a point. And the singles matches actually went back and forth. Uh, the deficit, though, heading into it was four shots, which was a little bit too much for the internationals to overcome. But, more, oh, man, did they make it interesting. Uh, they actually won the first singles match. Uh, Justin Thomas ended up losing to Siwoo Kim. Uh, but... In that, uh, all in all, the international team won five singles matches and tied one. But Team USA won six singles matches and and tied one. So 
they got the four and a half points that they need. They actually got six and a half points compared to five and a half from the internationals. But uh, the President's Cup clinching point wasn't secured until after or during the seventh singles match, match 25 out of 30. That was Xander Schauffele versus Corey Connors. They were tied going into the 18th hole. Connors got into some trouble with his first and second shot. Xander Schauffele made an easy putt to secure the victory and that full point, which gave the United States their 15th and a half point to win the President's Cup. Now, the final score, Team USA 17 and a half, Team International 12 and a half. So they beat them by five points. The United States won their ninth President's Cup in a row and their 12th President's Cup total in 14 total President's Cups. So just complete domination again by Team USA. It did get interesting. Uh, some personal highlights for Team USA. Jordan Spieth, he went 5-0-0. He played all four days. He won all five of the matches he was in, including his singles match. Became only the sixth player in President's Cup history to go 5-0-0. And then Max Homa was a rookie. There were a record number of rookies competing in this President's Cup. I believe there were 14 rookies uh, between both teams out of 24. So almost half the guy, more than half the guys playing were rookies. Uh, Max Homa was one of them, and he went 4-0-0. Uh, he sat out one of the uh, Saturday rounds, but he became only the fourth rookie of all time to go undefeated at the President's Cup. So very impressive stuff. Again, it was a great tournament. The crowd was really into it. A lot of booing, a lot of cheering. And uh, I just I love the Ryder Cup. I love the President's Cup. Uh, Team USA has done really well historically in the President's Cup, better than they have uh, in the Ryder Cup. But both of them, very similar formats and just... It's fun to watch. It's true country spirit, and a lot of these guys play each other every week on tour, but it's it's cool to watch them team up and, and go for the bigger cause of, of winning the President's Cup for their country. So I uh, certainly can't wait till the next Ryder Cup and President's Cup. These some of my favorite golf tournaments to watch. I pretty much watched this entire tournament from start to finish, from Thursday all the way down to Sunday. And uh, I did put football on the back burner this past weekend uh, while it was on, which is the only time all football season I'm going to do that. But, yeah, it was very good, very good golf, high level, very competitive. And it was cool to see the international team kind of make it an interesting tournament because Team USA looked like they were going to run away with it and not even make it to Sunday. So, uh, But congrats to Team USA. We have won the President's Cup yet again. But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which uh, is a PGA Tour tournament. It is the Sanderson Farms Championship. That is held at the Country Club of Jackson, which is in Jackson, Mississippi. Par 72, distance 7,461 yards. This is the second PGA Tour event of the year, right? We had one a couple of weeks ago, uh, but... We had that one-week break this past week in the schedule for the President's Cup, so we're back to PGA Tour schedule with this tournament, second of the year. This is actually the ninth year that this course has hosted the Sanderson Farms Championship. 
course uh, was redesigned back in 2008. Uh, the thing about this course, um, it's it's going to make for some tough birdie opportunities because it requires uh, very impressive and precise ball striking. Got to hit the fairways in here, more narrow fairways than you would ordinarily see. So you, you do need uh, some, some good ball striking. Get it in the fairway. Get yourself set up for a chance at birdie. The field itself for this thing, you know, we're on the heels of the President's Cup, so it's not great. I would say slightly above average. There's going to be a few top names out there, uh, including three of the golfers that just competed in the President's Cup this past weekend. Those three golfers are Sam Burns, Sebastian Munoz, and Christian Bezadenhout. Right, Those three guys just played last weekend at Quail Hollow. They'll be out here uh, at the Country Club of Jackson for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Now, interestingly enough, Sebastian Munoz, he won this tournament back in 2019, and Sam Burns won this tournament last year with a record-setting low score at this tournament, course record. Um, he was That was actually one of, it was the first of his three victories last year on tour, Sam Burns. So he's trying to defend his title there. We also have five golfers in the field this weekend that are from Mississippi, including uh, Davis Riley, who had a fabulous rookie campaign last year. Some other notable names in the field uh, include Sahith Thigala, who was another terrific rookie from last year, Harris English, J.T. Poston, and Russell Henley. So out of those eight guys that I just named off, I would expect at least a couple of them to be in contention to win this thing. Probably Sam Burns, maybe Sebastian Munoz, Sahith Gala is always tricky. So I'd keep an eye out for them. Not sure how much of this tournament I'm going to tune into uh, just with football on. Uh, you know, I pretty much spent all weekend watching uh, the President's Cup last weekend. So uh, I'll probably tune in just a tad to this thing, but uh, certainly won't watch it as much as the President's Cup last weekend. So uh, but next week, we will uh, check back in and see how the Sanderson Farms Championship turned out. But we'll move over to the National Football League, do a standings update here in the NFL. Another crazy weekend in the NFL. Um, lots of exciting games. Uh, we had some surprising victories. Um, just, you know, another slew of injuries that we'll get into, including some real notable ones. But uh, in this week three, the Jacksonville Jaguars absolutely pummeled the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, AFC powerhouses, Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs, they both lost. And then Aaron Rodgers beat Tom Brady in a game this weekend. Now, I mentioned Kansas City lost. They lost to the Indianapolis Colts, who were 0-1-1 going into that game. The Colts came back, drove down the field, and scored a touchdown with 24 seconds left to take the lead and win. So Kansas City lost on that one. Now, I mentioned Buffalo also lost. Those are your two favorites in the AFC, or at least in the preseason they were. Buffalo lost to the Miami Dolphins, right? That was a hard-fought game. Josh Allen threw for 400 yards, ran for another 47, and still lost. Now, that game had a weird sequence of events. Uh, Miami was punting from their own end zone late in the game. The punter actually kicked the ball off of the rear end of the defender, 
or of the of his teammate who was blocking, and it immediately def- uh, deflected off his butt and backwards into the stands. So that was by rule a safety, which gave Buffalo two points, and they got the ball back. They tried to drive down the field, and the clock just ran out of time. They couldn't get out of bounds on the last play, couldn't get set to spike it. So Miami beat Buffalo 21-19. Very close, very exciting, intense game. Uh, You can certainly pencil in Miami uh, as one of the better teams, if not the best team at the moment in the AFC. I don't think they're the best team, but I certainly think that they're very good. And then we had the Sunday night football. You watch exciting football all day. You come to Sunday night football, and that was an absolute snooze fest. Uh, We almost had more punts than we did points in that one. It was Denver and San Francisco. There were 17 punts in that game and only 21 points scored. So just an absolute poop show on Sunday night football. Uh, I didn't even watch the end of the game because it was it was that bad. But we got to Monday night football. It started slow. So Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants. And uh, the first half kind of resembled that Sunday night football game. So I was getting a little nervous there. Uh, for my Cowboys, but they ended up turning it on in the second half. Turned into a really good game. Uh, Dallas Cowboys won that one, and in doing so, Cooper Rush became the first player since the 1970 merger to lead three fourth-quarter comebacks uh, in his first three career starts. So Cooper Rush is 3-0. and Ironically enough, Dallas has won both games that Cooper Rush has started, Lost the game that Dak Prescott started. So as we get into the standings updates, uh, week three, or through week three, I mentioned it's been exciting all year. There have been 18 games so far through three weeks that have been decided by three points or less, which is an NFL record number of those such games for the first three weeks. So I would expect this to continue all season long. A lot of teams are more evenly matched now. And uh, football is just more competitive than it's ever been. It's harder to win than ever before. So as we get into the standings updates, the only two teams in the NFL at the moment that are undefeated, we got one from each conference. The AFC, it's the Miami Dolphins at 3-0. The NFC, it's the Philadelphia Eagles at 3-0. Boy, both of them look really good. We only have one team without a win this year so far, and that is the 0-3 Las Vegas Raiders. So very surprising stuff there with the addition of Devontae Adams. They're 0-3. But we're going to start off our standings update. Not really going to get too in-depth with this just because there's only been three games played. We'll start off in the NFC the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles are 3-0. I mentioned they're the only NFC team that's undefeated. Jalen Hurts is playing on another level. He is certainly in the MVP conversation uh, at the moment. Eagles look very good. Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants, both 2-1. and one. Cowboys just beat the Giants on Monday Night Football, as I mentioned. Won both of their games without Dak Prescott so far. And get a lowly Washington Commanders team who is one and two this weekend. So Washington is fourth in the NFC East. Now the New York Giants, wide receiver Sterling Shepard. Now that if you're watching that Monday night game, he ended up tearing his ACL on the last play of the game. And it was the strangest thing. 
was a non-contact injury. He was slowing down on his route. Didn't even cut or anything. Nobody was near him, just slowing down, and he just falls and clutches his knee. So he is tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Tough break for this guy, man. He he always seems to to get hurt severely every year. And uh, I'm not wondering, uh, you know, I'm wondering if he's not contemplating hanging him up. But um, tough break for Sterling Shepard. Great dude, good player, just uh, very unfortunate. Uh, the only thing certain in life are death, taxes, and a Sterling Shepard season-ending knee injury. But as we move over to the NFC North, Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers are both 2-1. and one. Minnesota snuck out a win against the Detroit Lions this past week when they were losing pretty much all game. Dalvin Cook got hurt, dislocated his shoulder again for probably the 14th time. Um, He's not going to need surgery. Well, he is going to need surgery, but he's going to play through the injury because he has been for a while. He's just going to wear a harness, and he might even play in week four. Green Bay had a huge win over Tampa Bay. Mentioned Aaron Rodgers beat Tom Brady. That was a big win for the Packers on Sunday. Uh, the Chicago Bears are also 2-1. and one. I don't know how. Their offense is absolutely horrid. Justin Fields barely passed for 100 yards this week. I don't know how they're winning games, but that is the Chicago Bears' style of play. They win games and have a horrendous offense, and that is the Chicago Bears. So they're minus five in, in point diff through three games, and they're somehow two and one. Then you have the Detroit Lions. They're one and two, uh, only a game back from the others. The NFC South, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, are the only team with two wins in this division. They're two and one. They lost to Green Bay this past week. And then the, the other three teams, the Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints, and Atlanta Falcons are all one and two. Okay, New Orleans lost a stinker to the Carolina Panthers this past weekend, and I don't know how. Jameis Winston, yeah, he throws for 350 yards, but, man, he does not look good at all. Um, I don't know how he accumulates the numbers he does, but uh, I, I was really high on the Saints. Alvin Kamara has been a mess of himself this year. And uh, they need to get it back on track because the Saints were a trendy pick to make the playoffs this year and potentially win the division. I actually picked them to win the division. So, uh, But they are minus 17 in point diff through three games. That is just terrible. The NFC West, Los Angeles Rams are the only team with two wins. Everybody else, the San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks, and Arizona Cardinals, they're all one and two. So the Rams are 2-1, and one, but they're minus 9 in point diff, which is, is pretty interesting. San Francisco 49ers had a big injury. All-pro left tackle Trent Williams got a high ankle sprain, so he's going to be out for multiple weeks. That's going to affect their passing game, their running game. Everything about that offense is going to be affected, so keep an eye on that. Arizona, they should be 0-3. It took an act of God for them to win that. Uh, that game that they did last week against Las Vegas. They're not good at all. Um, I I don't know what else to say. Arizona, I I don't see how they can make the playoffs, even when they get DeAndre Hopkins back. I just, they've been playing absolutely horrible. Over in the AFC, 
the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins. I mentioned them. They're the only AFC team that's undefeated. They're 3-0. They just beat the Buffalo Bills this past week, who are 2-1. And then the other two teams in that division, well, let me mention with the Bills, uh, they play safety Micah Hyde on long-term injured reserve. He's going to be out the rest of the season with a neck injury. So that's a big blow to the Bills' secondary. Uh, They didn't have Jordan Poyer this past weekend either for an injury, so keep an eye on that. Uh, The New York Jets and the New England Patriots are both 1-2. Patriots quarterback Mac Jones, he also suffered a high ankle sprain uh, that's going to keep him out multiple weeks, and his may require surgery. It's so bad. I've never heard of having surgery on a sprain, uh, but his is so bad that he might need it, so he's undergoing other testing. We'll see how that goes. The AFC North, Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens are 2-1. and one. Uh, Cleveland Browns defensive end Miles Garrett, he was in a pretty bad car wreck after practice on Monday this week. Flipped his car. I guess he said he was trying to avoid an animal. He had literally just left the practice facility just down the street. Uh, he didn't get banged up too bad. He just had minor injuries, and so uh, he was released from the hospital the, the next day. Not sure if he'll be out here in week four, but uh, he should be out there uh, in week five. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson has been on another level. Um, He has two games out of the three this year with uh, multiple passing touchdowns and over 100 yards rushing. Uh, The guy is just not a – he's not your ideal quarterback in terms of throwing the football, but, man, he is a tremendous athlete, and he just makes plays happen. Pittsburgh Steelers and Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, rather, they're both one and two. All right, Steelers uh, lost TJ Watt. I just, I'm not sold on the Steelers. Mitch Trubisky looks terrible. They're going to they're gonna be going with Kenny Pickett at quarterback before too long. And then the Cincinnati Bengals finally got a win after starting 0-2. Um, that team, I picked them to win the division. I just don't see how they don't make the playoffs. They have an improved roster from last year's AFC Championship team. So, I, you know, I think they'll turn it around. Over in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars are up top in that division at 2-1. and one. They look terrific. Uh, they smacked the hell out of the Colts and then beat the tar out of the Chargers this past weekend. So uh, watch out for Jacksonville. They look really good. Trevor Lawrence is finding a groove. That improved offense is is really clicking. Doug Peterson uh, is doing a tremendous job with that team. So watch out for Jacksonville. Indianapolis Colts are 1-1-1. One, one, one. Uh, interesting record there. Tennessee Titans finally got on the board. They're 1-2. And then the Houston Texans are 0-2-1. Oh, uh, I would be shocked if Houston didn't have a top three pick in the draft as one of the worst three teams in the league. Then over in the AFC West... Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos are both 2-1. and one. Uh, Denver really has no business being 2-1. and one. They've been an absolute mess. I mentioned the Chiefs lost, but they're still a very good team. Got Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid as their coach. Uh, they're, they're going to be in contention for the AFC title. Denver Broncos, like I said, I I don't know how. Russell Wilson does not look like the Russell Wilson that we saw in Seattle. Maybe the the one we saw last year, but uh, not the Russell Wilson you think of. So uh, Denver's in some trouble. Their offense is is not great, and that is 
very surprising considering the talent at the skill positions that they have. Los Angeles Chargers, they're one and two. They just got spanked by uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they are in a world of trouble because Pro Bowl offensive tackle Rashawn Slater, he tore his biceps tendon, so he's going to be out for the rest of the year. And then all-pro defensive end Joey Bosa, he has a significant groin injury, and he is listed as week-to-week, so you can count on him missing at least two or three weeks with that. He's been very injury-prone in his career, so I don't assume they're going to rush him back. So Justin Herbert is kind of on an island by himself there. Of course, Keenan Allen's missed the last two games there on offense. So Chargers, we thought they were a trendy pick to compete for the AFC Championship. But at this point, Chargers will be doing good to just make the playoffs. Uh, their, Their point differential through three games is minus 26. That is terrible for a team that was expected to be competing in the playoffs this year. And then last in the AFC West and in the entire NFL is the 0-3 Las Vegas Raiders. I mentioned it a minute ago. Very surprising. They have Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, college teammates. Uh, They have hooked up for a couple of touchdowns, but uh, just very surprising to see Vegas uh, in such bad shape already, especially in that division with Kansas City, Denver, and Los Angeles, although we've already established that two of those three teams uh, aren't as great as we thought they'd be. So Vegas is still in it in that division, just simply because the Broncos and the Chargers, who knows what's going to happen with them moving forward with those injuries and with just the lack of production that we've seen out of Denver. Uh, But all in all, another exciting week of NFL football. Um, You know, every week it seems there's going to be some competitive games. Like I mentioned, 18 games already through three weeks that have uh, ended with a – three points or less as the differential. I would expect to see more games like that this weekend. Uh, some some good games coming on this weekend as well. And uh, we'll, we'll check back in next week. I'm sure we'll have more injuries to report and uh, more news along that front. So uh, we'll check back in next week and see how exciting week four was. But we'll move over to college football and recap just another insane week of college football. Uh, week four is in the books. We are now moving on to week five. And the theme for week four was that uh, a lot of ranked teams struggled in their games, right? Starting from Georgia all the way down to Miami at number 25. Georgia, uh, they they beat Kent State 39-22. So they didn't really struggle. Uh, but Kent State kept that thing a lot closer than Georgia had anticipated. All right. Uh, Michigan finally played a real team in Maryland. Only won by a touchdown in that one. Clemson needed two overtimes to take care of Wake Forest. Oklahoma lost uh, at home to an unranked Kansas State team. Uh, USC, they went up to Corvallis and really struggled against the Beavers. Only won by a field goal. Kentucky struggled at home against Northern Illinois. Um, I mean, it was... The whole, you know, Oregon needed two touchdowns in the last minute to get by Washington State, uh, although Washington State is a good team. Uh, Baylor only beat Iowa State by a touchdown. Texas ended up losing to Texas Tech in overtime in Lubbock. Don't remind me of that one. And then uh, Middle Tennessee State 
ended up clobbering uh, number 25 ranked Miami. So that's just kind of how the the games went down there. Um, we'll do a a top 25 rankings update uh, here in college football after just another crazy week. Like I said, the top team in the country uh, after week four is Georgia. They are 4-0. Um, said had a little bit of issues with Kent State. Just They didn't beat them by 100 like they were supposed to. So uh, naturally, you know, it, it looks like they struggled. But number two is Alabama. They got a tough one this week, uh, a ranked game against Arkansas this week. Arkansas lost to Texas A&M. That was a close game. Um, but Arkansas is number well, 20. We'll get there in a minute. So Alabama has a tough game. Uh, they're in Fayetteville, too, so Alabama on the road. That could potentially be an upset. Number three team in the country is Ohio State. They absolutely hammered Wisconsin this past weekend. I think it was 52-21 in that one. Uh, they were at home, and it really was never even close. Uh, from opening kickoff, it was all Ohio State. They look very, very good. C.J. Stroud. Uh, is is making a case for number one overall pick in the NFL draft next uh, f- spring. Michigan, they're number four. I told you they struggled. They got a tough game this week at Iowa. All right. Since 2008, top five teams that have gone to Kinnick Stadium are one and five in those six games. All right. Uh, it's just a tough place to play. Michigan looked very beatable last week against Maryland. And uh, I would put Michigan on upset alert this week along with Alabama. Number five is Clemson. They're idle from where they – the top five all didn't move. Number six is USC. They're up one spot after their three-point victory against Oregon State. Uh, Kentucky's number seven. They're also up one spot. They have a ranked game this weekend in Oxford against Ole Miss. Number eight – Tennessee Volunteers, they're up three spots after beating Florida. Uh, Tennessee is very good. Quarterback Hendon Hooker has uh, certainly uh, put his name into the Heisman Trophy mix with how well Tennessee's playing. They're 4-0, and they look really good there uh, in that SEC tough conference. Oklahoma State is number nine. Uh, they have a ranked game this weekend as well against Baylor. So we have three ranked uh, games this week. Three games this weekend in which both of the teams playing are top 25 teams. I just mentioned uh, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Oklahoma State and Baylor. Number 10, NC State. They're up two spots. Uh, they go to Clemson this weekend, so that'll be a good one. Make that four ranked games. All right, this is the fourth. Uh, that's going to be a good one. Clemson's at home, so I would give the edge to them. Uh, number 11, Penn State. They're up three spots. They beat Central Michigan this past weekend. Number 12 is Utah. They got a tough one uh, against Oregon State this week, but Utah's looked really good this year, so I would expect them to win. Oregon is up two spots to number 13, and uh, they uh, they have a home game against Stanford this week. Uh, I told you it took pretty much a, a miracle for Oregon to win that game uh, in Pullman against Washington State this past weekend, but they did it. They scored two touchdowns in less than two minutes to end the game. 
Uh, Ole Miss is number 14. They play Kentucky, who's number 7. Their game is in Oxford, so it's a home game for Ole Miss. I would not be surprised if Ole Miss won. Uh, Jackson Dart's been playing pretty well this year, quarterback. Uh, Number 15 is Washington. They're 4-0, coming out of the Pac-12. They're up three spots. They play UCLA this week. Now, interesting thing about Washington is if they can get by UCLA, the rest of the schedule is really favorable. They do not play USC or Utah this year. And in a Pac-12 that's now one uh, division instead of North and South, uh, Washington, if they can win this week, they have a very solid path to the Pac-12 championship game. Number 16 is Baylor. They're 3-1. and one. They play Oklahoma State, who's number 9, as we mentioned, this weekend. So that game is in Waco, so it's uh, home field advantage to the Bears. Number 17, Texas A&M. They're up six spots after their victory over Arkansas this past weekend here in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. That was a very back-and-forth game. Arkansas actually got up 14-0 on them before uh, A&M ended up uh, coming back. Number 18 is Oklahoma. They are down 12 spots after their loss at home against an unranked Kansas State team. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. If that were Texas that lost against Kansas State, from the number six spot at home, they would be out of the top 25. I don't understand why these people continue to rank Oklahoma inside the top 25 when uh, year after year all they do is disappoint, Um, much like Texas has, but Texas hasn't been ranked very high in the last uh, seven or eight years, so uh, I can say that about Texas. But, yeah, Oklahoma, bad loss at home. Uh, They have a tough one against a 3-0 TCU team this weekend in Fort Worth. So keep an eye on that one. I can see TCU running that one up. Number 19 is BYU. They did not move. They were 19 last week. They're 19 this week. Number 20 is Arkansas. They're down 10 spots uh, after their loss to Texas A&M this past week. Still a very good team. K.J. Jefferson, uh, very difficult to stop. Big dude, super athletic. Arkansas is going to be um, pretty formidable there in that SEC, especially if they can beat Alabama this weekend. Number 21 is Minnesota. They're 4-0. They're up 12 spots. They they weren't ranked last year, haven't been ranked all year, uh, but they definitely look like the best team in the Big Ten West. Uh, P.J. Fleck has got those boys playing. Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, uh, senior, good leader, and he's just uh, Mo Ibrahim, the running back, uh, very solid uh, duo there between Morgan and Ibrahim, and that, that Minnesota team looks really good. They just put the beat down on Michigan State this past weekend. They got a home game against Purdue this week. Number 22 is Wake Forest. They lost to Clemson in double overtime last week, and they only dropped down one spot, so that's fair. Uh, they got a tough Florida State team uh, in Tallahassee this weekend. Florida State's actually number 23 this week. Uh, they're up four spots. So that game makes five, five games this weekend in which both teams are ranked. All right. And then number 24 is Pittsburgh. Um, 
They go to or they're at home against Georgia Tech, and then number twenty-five is Kansas State. All right, after their victory over Oklahoma, they are at home against Texas Tech. Now, the first team outside of the top twenty-five receiving votes is Kansas. No, this isn't basketball; it is football. The Kansas Jayhawks are four and zero for the first time since two thousand and nine. Just incredible stuff there going on in Lawrence, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is going to continue once they hit the Big 12 portion of their schedule, which should be this week. Uh, I don't see Kansas keeping that up. <clears throat> uh, they're far inferior to a lot of Big 12 teams, uh, but they're 4-0, so that that's uh, good for them, and then I, I kind of alluded to this, um, that Middle Tennessee State game. Miami was number 25. They were at home in Miami. And Middle Tennessee State just thumped them, all right? That, of course, knocked Miami out of the top 25. But uh, it's going to be another exciting weekend. Like I said, we have five games in which both of the teams are ranked. Just to recap, Alabama and Arkansas, Clemson and NC State, Kentucky and Ole Miss, Oklahoma State and Baylor, and then... Wake Forest and Florida State. Those are your five games in which all both teams are ranked inside the top 25. So there is certainly going to be, uh, on paper, this is the best weekend of college football thus far. So uh, we will certainly check back in next week and see how those games turned out and uh, what the top 25 looks like next week. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, do a standings update here in the MLB. And as I record this, there's only about nine to ten days left in the Major League Baseball regular season. Uh, so by next episode, we will be pretty much at the end of the regular season. We've had a few more teams clinch a playoff spot or a division since the last episode. So we'll go ahead and jump right in. We're not going to spend too much time on this. We'll have a, a more in-depth look uh, once we get to the playoffs, but... In the National League, the top team is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're 106 and 48. They've officially clinched the best record in the National League. So they will be the top seed. The second seed in the National League at the moment is the New York Mets at 98 and 58. Uh, They're not catching the Dodgers. However, the Mets have only clinched a playoff spot. They have not clinched the division yet. And I'll get to why in just a second. Third place in the National League is the St. Louis Cardinals. They have officially clinched the Central Division, so they are the NL Central champions. They're 90-66. and They're eight games behind the Mets. I don't anticipate St. Louis will catch them, but you never know. But this past week, the St. Louis Cardinals first baseman, future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols, he hit his 700th career home run. Last weekend, becoming only the fourth player ever to hit 700 home runs. The only other three are Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and Barry Bonds. So pretty elite company there. Pujols also joined Hank Aaron as the only two players in Major League Baseball history with 700 home runs and 3,000 hits. Right, So he's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. This is his last year. I know he wanted to get to 700 home runs, and he did, so... Uh, he can at least retire with that. Other news with the Cardinals, third baseman Nolan Arenado 
He officially secured his seventh career season with 30 homers and 100 RBIs. Nobody has more of those such seasons since he joined the league in 2013. He's a terrific hitter, great third baseman. Uh, He's got the Cardinals in great shape there, winning the NL Central. The first place wildcard team at the moment is the Atlanta Braves. They're 97-59. and Okay, so they're also in the NL East, right? Um, Before I get into that, rookie pitcher Bryce Elder threw a complete game shutout for the Braves the other night, becoming the first Atlanta Braves rookie with a shutout since 1990, right? So they've gotten great pitching all year. They're only uh, about a half a game back from the New York Mets. So the NL East is still very much up for grabs. Okay, it could be the Mets, could be the Braves, whichever team. Uh, they both clinched a playoff spot, so whichever team doesn't win the NL East will be the first wild card team, because the second wild card team is the San Diego Padres at eighty six and sixty eight. Right, so they are uh, quite a ways behind the Braves. I, I do think uh, the Dodgers. I mean, the Padres have won eight out of their last ten, including three in a row. So I do believe the Padres will be in the playoffs when it's all said and done, especially with that lineup. And then the last wild card team in the National League is the Philadelphia Phillies. They're 83 and 71. They've lost four in a row. They only have currently a half game lead on the Milwaukee Brewers, right? Now mathematically, the Milwaukee Brewers have uh, are the only team that can catch the Philadelphia Phillies for that final wild card spot, or the Padres, I suppose, uh, because every other team in the National League has been eliminated from playoff contention. So I think the Padres are better than the Phillies and better than the Brewers. So I think the Padres will be in the playoffs. So I I think the only thing up for grabs at the moment in the National League uh, is either the Phillies or the Brewers in that last wild card spot so we will have to see on that over in the American League first place team is the AL West division champion Houston Astros at a record 102 and 53 they have won three games in a row they certainly appear to be uh, one of the better teams and obviously one of the better teams in the AL but they've had strong pitching Strong hitting and just solid play all year. So they are going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Second place team in the American League is the American League East clinching New York Yankees. All right. Yankees are 96 in 59. They have won nine out of their last 10. And after one week of waiting, we finally got the 61st home run of the season by outfielder Aaron Judge, right? He was kind of, and I don't want to say a slump because the dude had uh, almost two walks a game probably over the last week, but he hadn't hit a home run since last week. He was stuck on 60, finally hit 61 in Toronto on Wednesday night this week, and that tied Roger Maris's American League record for homers in the season. Uh, That 61st home run for Aaron Judge had an exit velocity of 117.4 miles an hour, which was actually Aaron Judge's hardest hit home run since 2017. find that hard to believe considering how many he's hit, but such is the case. 
And Aaron Judge also hit his 61st home run in 10 fewer games than Roger Maris did uh, back in the day. So uh, Yankees have won the AL East. Uh, They're in good shape. I I think, you know, I wouldn't want to play the Yankees, but, uh, you know, the Yankees have disappointed in recent years. And I I don't, with the the competition we have in the American League this year, it, it might be another potential early exit for the Yankees. Uh, third place in the American League is the Cleveland Guardians. They have officially clinched the American League Central Division with a record of 87-68. and 68. They've won eight out of their last ten. I don't think they're going to make any noise in the playoffs, but um, we'll have to see on that. Your three wildcard teams at the moment in the American League. The first wildcard team is the Toronto Blue Jays at 87-69. and 69. They have a... Two and a half game lead in the wild card over the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 85 and 70. And the Rays uh, have a one game lead over the third place wild card team, which is the Seattle Mariners. Okay. Now, you, if Mariners are 83 and 70, you know that I have been absolutely all over the Mariners since the start of the season. Like the preview episode, I picked Seattle and Toronto to basically make it to the ALCS. So. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. Seattle's only won three times in their last 10 games, and they are only four games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles, who are 80 and 75. So Baltimore can certainly catch the Mariners over the next week. Uh, a team that's fading quickly from playoff contention is the Chicago White Sox. Now that uh, Cleveland has clinched the AL Central, the only avenue for the White Sox uh, and the Twins to get uh, into the playoffs is to get a wild card spot. Both the White Sox and the Twins have a record of 76 and 79 as I record this, which puts them eight games behind the Mariners. I do not see them making up eight games over the final week and a half. Uh, White Sox have lost eight in a row, so uh, they're damn sure not going to play any any worse than that at the, at the you know at the worst time. Really, I mean you. You know, you want to play well at the end of the year, and they're going the wrong way. So uh, based on what I've seen out of Seattle all year, the only team that I think has a reasonable chance is Baltimore, but uh, I think Seattle's going to be in that final wild card spot, and I do believe that they are going to uh, be a force in the playoffs once they start. So uh, that is the Major League Baseball update for now. Like I said, we have just over a week left in the regular season So once we get that closed out, we'll do a playoff preview and I'll give you some predictions on how I think it's going to turn out. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. We're going to start off in the National Football League, right? This past week, the NFL announced that the Super Bowl 57 halftime performer is going to be Rihanna. Right, the same Rihanna that was relevant about 12 years ago. Um, Yeah, that Rihanna. So Rihanna is going to be the halftime performer this year at the Super Bowl. I can't say that I'm overly excited. Of course, last year's was pretty good. Year before that with the weekend, obviously, was great. Um, You know, we'll see. I'm sure Rihanna will be fine, but that's just not a name that gets me all that excited to watch the halftime show. But it is what it is. The bigger NFL news, though, 
uh, came to us the other day when they announced that they are replacing the Pro Bowl with a week-long skills competition and a flag football game, okay? This flag football game is going to replace the full contact showcase game that started back in 1951. It, and Pro Bowl is going to be renamed from the Pro Bowl to the Pro Bowl games, which makes sense if it's a week-long skills competition. Now, instead of you know, last year or this past year or two, it's been at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, which is where it's going to stay. Okay, prior to that, it was in Honolulu, Hawaii for the longest time. I think Las Vegas is the new home of the NFL's Pro Bowl games. So uh, that's a good spot for it. Now, in recent years, of course, if you've watched the Pro Bowl in the last five to seven years, it's basically turned into a fluff fest, all right? Uh, They basically play flag football in the Pro Bowl right now as it is. So uh, I don't really know that an actual flag football game would look any different. There will be the same amount of hits. Hell, there might be more contact than we've seen in the Pro Bowl. So, you know, um, I I think it's an okay idea. I mean, the Pro Bowl, that's the biggest joke out of all the all-star games we have in the four major pro sports. So they're trying to fix it and make it new and better. And I'm all for skills competition. I like that. I love watching the the, the Pro Bowl skills showdown that they've had the last couple years. They changed it up. So I could get used to, you know, a week worth of that. Now, Peyton Manning and his Omaha Productions company is actually going to help shape the programming and uh, promote the content for this Pro Bowl game. And Peyton himself is going to be a part of the coaching staff for the flag football game. So, Uh, Pretty big news there out of the NFL with those two pieces. National Hockey League, the NHL's preseason has officially started. Uh, Every team's played a couple games so far, so we're quickly approaching the start of the regular season. We'll do, you know, a a prediction kind of deal once we get a little closer to the start of the regular season. The only re-signing we had of note uh, this past week was the Florida Panthers. They re-signed young goalie Spencer Knight to a three-year Thirteen and a half million dollar contract extension. It's a pretty good deal. It's four and a half million a year. Uh, Spencer Knight is a really young, talented goalie. He was the thirteenth overall pick in the twenty nineteen draft, and he's going to be a key young piece uh, for this Florida Panthers team that's looking to build off of a President's Trophy winning season. Over in the NBA, we did have one trade: the Detroit Pistons acquired. Bojan Bogdanovic from the Utah Jazz in exchange for Kelly Olenek and Sabin Lee. That's a good trade for Detroit, getting Bogdanovic. Uh, they got a great young core in Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, so veteran presence there in Bogdanovic should help those, those two. And then we did have one contract re-signing. The New Orleans Pelicans, they re-signed their all-star point guard C.J. McCollum. Two years, $64 million, which now ties McCollum to New Orleans for the next four years, $133 million. So he still had some time on his contract, but they went ahead and re-signed him. So McCollum will be making $133 million over the next four years from the Pelicans. Over in Major League Baseball, 
The Seattle Mariners, they re-signed pitcher Luis Castillo to a five-year, $108 million contract. If you recall, they acquired him at the trade deadline a couple months ago, and they gave up quite a few uh, top-flight prospects to get him, so this is not a surprise. If you give up that much farm system equity, uh, you have to go out and re-sign him, and that's exactly what they did. So Luis Castillo will be a Mariner for the next five years at over $25 million uh, a year. And then the Florida man- uh, Florida Marlins manager, Don Mattingly, uh, announced that him and the Florida Marlins have uh, will be mutually parting ways after this season. So Don Mattingly will not be the manager of the Florida Marlins next year. He will finish out this year as their manager, and then he will uh, be departing from Florida. So uh, Marlins will be in the hunt for a new manager. And then the last piece of news I have for you around the island is comes from NASCAR, which I think might be the first time I've ever covered NASCAR on this show. But seven-time NASCAR Cup champion Jimmy Johnson, he has officially announced his retirement from, quote, full-time racing. He's going to turn his focus towards uh, spending time with his family. Now, Jimmy Johnson did say that uh, he will still occasionally race, uh, but his schedule will have like up to 10 bucket list events. So he's not going to race full-time every week like he has, uh, but he will still participate in the select few, probably the high-profile events such as your you know, Daytona 500s, uh, Brickyard 400s, that kind of stuff, notable races. Um, but uh, that is going to do it for the 92nd episode of Sports Island. Uh, Around the Island was quick today, but still some good news, particularly in the National Football League, some big news there. This weekend, we have a, you know, a, a ho-hum average golf tournament on the PGA Tour. Probably won't tune into much of that. But we have an amazing weekend of college football on Saturday. I mentioned five ranked matchups. And then, of course, Sunday is going to provide us with a crazy weekend of NFL football. We've had 18 games that have finished within three points. Uh, and uh, I'd look for that trend to continue again this weekend. So, uh, of course, Major League Baseball will be wrapping up here in about a week. So, uh, important games this upcoming week for all these teams on the playoff bubble. So there's a lot to watch uh, over the next week until we can check back in and get you caught up. But uh, I know I'll definitely have a busy weekend, particularly with football this weekend. So uh, we'll check back in next week and see how everything turned out. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.